self-aware is something that can take a long time. However, it's an invaluable characteristic. It's also attractive, endearing, and dare I say healthy. Now, I'm not reading an excerpt from my heretofore unsuccessful Tinder, Hinge, or Bumble profiles. I'm referring to something valuable for a person to have, but also a horror movie. Now, by the mid-90s, slasher movies were kind of on their way out. They were considered B-movies and really just a trashy bag of tropes. That is until Wes Craven and Kevin Williamson came along with the self-referential, meta, smart, and transformative Scream. Now, on our last episode, our first mini-episode, we discussed the most recent franchise installment, but this week, we're kicking it all the way back to the days of Walkmans, boy bands, and caller ID being an imaginative thing of the future. Hi, I'm Pablo. And I'm Paul. Welcome to Scared Gay. A horror movie podcast with a gay agenda. And today, we're talking about Paul's favorite, Scream. (laughs) I'm really excited about this because... This movie is so dear to you. It's a great film, but for you, it's like, it's so dear. I love your energy when you talk about Scream. And um, you always seem to have such interesting, like, tidbits and facts. So I think this is going to be a fun episode for for everyone, um, including you, obviously. Like, I'm not a monster. Um, But, Paul, tell me. I want you to tell me how your life was a horror movie this week. Okay, so I'm trying to figure out how I want to describe this. Like, can it be considered a home invasion movie if it's just in your own apartment building? Kind of like the call is coming from inside the house, but it's actually coming on the pounding of your door because of your neighbor who's upstairs who stomps on the floor um, just normally when he walks and drags uh, drags his furniture around, but also will pound on the floor if I'm maybe having too loud of a conversation. I sing, and so there are some times where I'm putting on, you know, <laughs> belty musical theater, and he gets pissed, and he comes down, and he pounds on the door, sometimes even during normal day hours, and I've just kind of stopped answering. So I have been living in fear of that, trying to escape my house, waiting for to not run into him in our six-unit building. It sounds like you're Nicole Kidman in The Others right now. <laughs> like, what is going on? Why do, why do the drapes open? That's what it sounds like. <laughs> well, I don't know. Pablo, mm. how was your life a horror movie? Um, so this week I was actually in Mexico for a friend's wedding, and it was absolutely beautiful, super relaxing. Mexico is great. It was a great trip. Um, but I will say this week when I got back, I'm in a cursed object horror film. All right? Let me tell you why. And it's of my own doing. I ordered one of my all-time favorite films um it was always really hard to get but it's a criterion collection film it is considered one of the most banned films of all time it's a wild raid of a film and i don't have a like a blu-ray player or a dvd player but i ordered the blu-ray of it solo the 120 days of sodom i got it I love this film, and I know that it's going to cause arguments between me and Chris because he's not going to want to watch it, and I'm going to want him to watch it. And essentially, this movie is infamous. So I am in one of those films. Pablo, did you look at that cover? In the corner, there's the Men.com logo. 
I think you bought a porn parody. I'm joking. You're actually looking. <laughs> well, I'm looking like, what are you talking about? Like, what, what in it? But the movie itself is a porn parody if the porn that you watch is snuff films. Um, I've gotten out of that phase of my life. <laughs> You're like, I'm not a Mr. S model anymore. Like, that's not what I do. No, I paid for my college. <laughs> I'm out of that phase. As you like raise a like a bloody stump of an arm and you're like, this was sexy. Getting yeah. it chopped off. This, this paid for my junior year for semester. Okay. So this movie, Scream, Pablo, when mm-hmm. was the first time you saw it? I saw it when I was in... What year did this come out? 90... 1996. 1996. Okay. I saw it maybe a year after it came out. Um, I was like in junior high and I was at a friend's house. Like it was his like weekend with his dad and I was invited along and it was great. And I hung out with his dad and his dad's awesome. And, you know, and his dad let us watch this film and we watched it, you know, Um, while his dad was like, quote unquote, hanging out with his girlfriend. I think he was just like, well, I'm going to have a loud movie with a bunch of people screaming so they can't hear us probably. Um, but yeah, no, we watched it. I thought it was fucking cool as shit. I thought it was hella fun. It made me want to be a teenager. It made me want to be like a murderer. And my friend was freaked out by it. You? Well, how long did you want to be a murderer? That's not still. <laughs> like, why, why are you saying it in past tense? Like, what? Okay, I'm going to... I'm going to text Chris and just tell him to quietly get out of the apartment. <laughs> no, don't do that. I've turned off. I've turned off his phone. <laughs> so, like, you can text him all you want, bitch. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, 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 I saw this movie. This movie came out when I was seven years old, uh, so I was young. I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it very shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I remember being on like the playground of this Catholic school. And people talking about it, like kids talking about it. So I yeah. do think it was definitely such a, the 90s were a different time. As you'll hear me say over and over again, I had zero supervision though. My sisters are a lot older. I was able to watch pretty much whatever I wanted. Um, and I was able to watch this movie. And this was around the time that I stopped being scared of scary mm. movies and in <clears> fact <throat> fell in love with them. Like by the time I was in fourth grade, I was dressing up as Michael Myers for oh, Halloween. Um well, it sounds like you and Sydney have that in common, like no supervision. Her dad wasn't around for this. And like, you know, that's great. You relate to the main character. My mom did not walk around flashing her shit all over town like she was Sharon Stone or something. So. Oh, nice quote, by the way. <laughs> but loved this movie. So this movie, as I mentioned, came out in December of 1996, directed by Wes Craven, Written by Kevin Williamson, who would soon become uh, known for Dawson's Creek. Oh my god. Oh my god. This came out in December of 1996? Yes. No joke. I came out in December of 1996. (laughs) I came out really young. I was a child. I wasn't like a teenager. I was like a child when I came out of the closet. Well, there you go, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Scream. Uh, (laughs) Tune in next week. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. Oh, my God. That's crazy. And you're saying, see, this movie just keeps coming back to gay people. It's written by a gay man. 
oh, should have mentioned that Kevin Williamson, big old Mo, um, also would go on to write uh, the faculty, Dawson's Creek. Uh, I know you did last summer. How dare you talk about him like that with your self-important life? I don't know. That's how he writes everything. So, well, I'm sorry that I don't have a perfect life like you with your meta-analysis. There are lines in here that you're like, this was, this could not have been written by any other than a homosexual. <laughs> like, there's so yeah. good lines. But that, and that was the thing of the 90s was a lot of these like super articulate teens. And like, I totally thought I was like one of those like very like, you know, witty, well-spoken. I'm not even witty and well-spoken as a 32 year old. And then, and, and then we go back and listen to this podcast and we're like, and like, and like, and, and the thing, yeah, yeah. But for some reason, like as a 14 year old, we were like fucking Shakespeare. Back to the point. So we have that <laughs> written by... Kevin Williamson, uh, produced by the awful Weinsteins. So this movie was originally supposed to star Drew Barrymore. Uh, She was on the front posters, but I believe Mm -hmm. there were scheduling conflicts. And in fact, she was the one who came up with the idea that she would be the one to be killed in the very first scene, which threw audiences for the loop. It kind of gave them a sense of anyone can be killed, kind of definitely uh, throwing it back to Psycho. This movie yep. was filmed in Sonoma County. So if you're from the Bay Area, you'll look around and you're like, it's total wine country, yeah. which is one thing that bothers me that when they go back to Woodsboro a couple of other times, it's like, it's all very flat. It doesn't look like Sonoma, but the houses are gorgeous. Yeah, it's like but Pasadena or some shit like that. Now, this movie, Kevin Williamson, there are multiple things that inspired him, but two of my favorite are, was the first, the Gainesville Ripper, which was a serial killer to... Uh, that took place in uh, 1990 or early 90s at the Florida State mm-hmm. University campus. Sick fuck. He killed all these college students. The town was, you know, in uproar. There were students that were leaving because this was this guy would kill these people, these college students, and then would like pose their bodies. And it was yep. really sick and macabre. And so that was not something that inspired him as well as Friday the 13th Part 6. Uh Jason lives. I think that's what it's called. It's, yeah. I really like that one because they're in that scene in that movie, they start to kind of make fun of horror movies as well. There's a scene where a woman and her boyfriend are driving through the woods on like this little beetle. And then she stops and, and goes, uh, I've seen enough horror movies to know that a guy standing with a mask is not a good idea. And yeah. so like that, that was some of the, the inspiration. I love it. Oh, uh, Listeners, to keep me on track and to keep me from rambling, we're going to format this episode just a little bit different today or differently. Quickly go through the plot again, and then we're actually going to just kind of go through character by character, have a discussion on each of them, and then we'll move into some of our favorite scenes. High level plot. If you have not already seen it, you sh- this is definitely an episode you should watch the movie first, but you should yeah. see the movie Scream. If you are listening to a horror movie podcast and you've never seen Scream. The fuck is your problem? But still, please rate, review, and subscribe. Five star, <laughs> five yeah. star reviews are very well appreciated. Yeah. The uh, general speaking of the plot is we open up and a girl receives a call. She's home alone. Begins to be stalked over the phone, playing a game of cat and mouse with the killer. Ultimately, she's killed. We then fast forward to a whole new set of characters. We have Sydney Prescott, who is our final girl. Her mother was murdered a year before, and then she has her her group of friends. 
Throughout the rest of the movie, they're they're slowly stalked, culminating in a final scene at a party where we learn that the killer was in fact her boyfriend, killed her mother with their other friend, his best friend, Stu, the year before. Now, this movie introduced introduced a new version of the, the calls coming from inside of the house because the killer would speak to them over the phone and would stalk them and say, you know, really crazy things that we'll get into later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it spawned, as we know, a giant franchise that just released their uh, fifth installment last week, two weeks ago. And here we are. And so those calls were terrifying. Imagine picking up those calls and it was like, hello, Cindy, have you extended the warranty of your car's insurance? <laughs> oh, God. Scary. But but it is scary. I think like one of the scariest lines, I think in the movie and even the franchise is what really just puts this movie into gears in the very beginning. Um, when we have our first character, we're going to discuss Casey Becker, played by Miss Drew Barrymore. She receives a call and she starts talking to this guy. They're kind of flirting and he throws out the line. What's your name? She goes, why do you want to know my name? Because I want to know who I'm looking at. That Whoa. gives me such chills. Even today, like this is when cell phones were not like a big thing at all. Like no one really had cell phones. Caller ID was not even a thing. Cell phones were big physically like they were the fucking size of a football but (laughs) no one was trying to talk on a brick (laughs) they 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 were big they were big oh i should start when people message me on grinder and they send me dick pics just to make sure that they're you know giving me the truth like hey do you have an old cell phone from the 90s that you can just compare this against um okay uh do you want to get impaled (laughs) i mean kind of if it's not 90s cell phone big, I don't want to deal with it. All right. Well, you know, unrealistic male beauty standards now. If you're not the size of a 90s cell phone, I don't want it. <laughs> wow. Okay. I mean, I guess to have sex with you, we have to fist you with boxing gloves, like for real. Oh, no, I don't do fisting. I don't do that um, anymore. So, Pablo, let's dive in. Casey Becker. Uh, mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of the talking. We have Drew Barrymore, iconic opening scene. What are your thoughts on Casey Becker? Um, so here's my thought on Casey Becker, like real quick. Um, girl, you're cute, but like stop dressing like someone's mom at like Chico's. Like I totally get it. Like you love and like your your Bob, it's cute, but like take a Xanax and just like have fun. Um, when you're distracted, please just turn off the popcorn. That. <laughs> I was like, what is up with her? She doesn't turn off popcorn. Um, but other than that, like, she's great. Like, I liked her character. I got the sense that she is, like, a really popular girl. Um, and especially because it's played by Drew Barrymore. Um, yeah, she's she's cool. What about you? Well, first off, I feel personally insulted because I think I've worn a similar outfit to the ones that she wears with light blue, blue pants and then a V-neck like cord. I have a few different sweaters that I do refer to as my like Dawson Creek sweater. Oh, yeah. For <laughs> One sure. time, I, my friend, I knew she would hate it. So she answered the door and I was wearing it and I was I started playing uh, like that. I don't want to wait for Anna. It's from my cell phone. So then when she opened the door. <laughs> okay, that's good. That is so Casey. That is so Casey Becker. So Casey, I really like her character. I, you do get the sense that she's, you know, she's your normal 
like California, I call it, or high school girl, really sweet. I agree with you. I do think she's probably popular, but she does also seem nice and just like a normal teenager. He does start flirting with her and he asks like, oh, do you have a boyfriend? She does lie. So maybe she's not like, you know, she's enjoying, she's enjoying the flirting, making her jiffy pop. She loves to play it fast and loose with men on the phone. Maybe she's the type of girl who loves to do a party line. You remember those? Those 900 party lines? Like, hey. She may. Well, no, because she punts the guy off at first because he's like, hey, I want to talk. And she's like, there's 900 numbers for that. Click. And if you saw our post not too long ago, I do post a quick scene from there um, called uh, where she asked him, she's like, she's like, what do you want? And he's like, to see what your insides look like. Check out our post where I reference that. May or may not have to do with my grinder conversations. <laughs> they dealt with that scene really well with Carmen Electra's character in Scary Movie, where she's like, oh, <laughs> turn to page 32 or something like that. That is so good. <laughs> we'll definitely have to do Scary Movie. Itself. Yes, one of my faves. Um, and then just to kind of quickly wrap her up, because we'll talk more about her scene, but you know, Sweet character, I think perfect first victim, even though that wig is atrocious. Well, I mean, once you're wearing that hair, like, girl, is that a look? Like, was this something in the 90s where girls wanted to, like, look like they were wearing a helmet? Because it seriously does look like that. My she sister, who is the same age, like, in the same age group as as these characters, she graduated in high school in 93. She had a short kind of bob hair. I mean, she it looked way better than that one. It wasn't like a bob, but she definitely had kind of shorter hair. I think it's yeah. because it's a wig. Like, the wig is horrific. Horrific. I was like, it was terrible. She looked like a, a 90s Karen. It was bad. All right. So, next, we move on to Miss Thing, Miss Gay Icon, Miss Courtney Cox, a.k.a. Gail Weathers. Oh, Gail Weathers. I'm going to tell you this. She causes those storms and that wetness i am all about gail weathers i loved her in this she's a fucking raging bitch and i love that courtney cox wanted to make sure that she was a bitch because she played such a nice person on tv and i'll say this um i never watched friends i just i never found it interesting i didn't care about it and because gail weathers was such a bitch and that was my first introduction to courtney cox Every time I ever saw something about Friends, I'd always be like, oh, that's cool. They have, you know, uh, Courtney Cox playing another raging fucking bitch. I always assumed her character was such a bitch. Gail Weathers is a badass, and I want to be Gail Weathers. Totally. Her lines. So she, so Gail Weathers is our local news reporter, fame-hungry. Uh, uh, she would be an influencer today. Yeah. Well, but she's an ambitious woman, but she but she is a bitch. Um, as as Dewey says um, in the sequel, he says she's a... A girl boss? I can't, I can't remember. Okay. Girl boss. Are we talking about Lula Rowe? Yeah, just like in general, how like girl boss is now seen as like very anti-feminist. And it like it's like the term that they try to get women to use. But in fact, it's just like bad behavior in business. Well, yeah, Girl Boss, I think that was also started by the Lula Rowe, um, like MLM, uh, aka also a cult. But we'll, yes. you and I will talk about that offline. Um, if you haven't seen the Amazon docuseries. Yeah. And they probably started that because they were like, we love Gail Weathers. She's a girl boss. Yay. Boom. And yeah, but Gail Weathers, she's gay icon in this movie. So she's the, so she's our local news reporter, super ambitious, wants to get the scoop. But the thing is, is there is an aspect of her that she is human. Ultimately, she ends up being the person 
to save the day. She saves mm-hmm. Randy and, and Sydney after she's like supposedly almost died twice. So Gail delivers some of the best lines. Now we are very body positive here at Scary oh, yeah. Podcast. 100%. But uh, she has this cameraman, Kenny, who like at the end of the day, he's actually a really sweet guy. His death is kind of sad, but she is so mean to him and just fat shames him all the time because she she gets to a scene. She's like, hey, or she says, Jesus, the camera, hurry. You hear him go, my name isn't Jesus. And then he doesn't get to her fast enough for her to be able to film. And she turns around. Look, Kenny. Yeah. I know that you're about 50 pounds overweight, but when I say hurry, Please interpret that as move your fat tub of lard ass now. And that's when you learn, I know exactly who this bitch is. Yeah. A bitch. (laughs) Yeah. Every bitch, like every bitch, every dick, every asshole that we know. Yeah. And we're here for it. We love a dramatic diva. Yeah. She's the, she's the Mariah Carey of this film. (laughs) Though I think Mariah Carey's body pause. Oh, don't, oh, don't do that to her. Okay. I think I I respect I respect Mariah Carey's talent immensely. I love Mariah. Um, she said something nice about Britney Spears recently, which you know gave me a couple of minutes. I she's such a bitch and Point. such a de- like too much of a diva. Point taken, a hundred percent. Yes, I love Mariah and Carey. Actually, she's amazing. It broke my heart for Ariana Grande when she was like talking shit about her when people are like Ariana's the next Mariah, like. And she couldn't be bothered. I was very disappointed in Madonna, who Madonna was a big part of my upbringing. Um, when she called Lady Gaga's Born This Way reductive to express herself. Yes. It's disappointing. Oh. It's like, okay, you don't have to be the matriarch, but you can at least be like, oh, that's amazing that these two pop icons now are inspired and partially who they are because of me. Versus yeah. like... Take it as a compliment. You know, like, girl, you're you're like old enough to be her mom like you can't yeah. really compete with her stop trying just take it as a compliment it's an homage to you and your message yes you yeah. left such a lasting legacy great a couple of quick things i want to say on gail weathers so it's interesting because she has a huge character arc she f- ends up falling in love with our next character we'll discuss uh deputy dewey riley uh and it's kind of a, a similar arc in a few of the different films she is the stone cold bitch, but you can tell that she does still care about people. So she, she and Sydney have this huge conflict because when Sydney's mother was murdered, Gail wrote a book about about the murder. And Sydney, there's a man who's already been convicted of it, and she called Sydney a liar. There's a punch that happens that is amazing, <laughs> but mm-hmm. she is, you know, she's ruthless. She cares about her success, but at the end of the day, she does end up saving people. She does want to help solve this and she you know doesn't completely run away so like you do see her change throughout the film and she is the one who delivers the last line of the movie so being yeah being ambitious being driven and being kind of a hard ass and maybe even a bitch doesn't necessarily mean you're a bad person you know and so like that's i think like i think that's why people really like and gravitate towards gail weathers because out of all the characters, she's probably the most, the one with the most dimensions that we see. I'd agree with that. And that says a lot to Courtney Cox, you know, as an, mm-hmm. as an actress. And also the fact that she really fought hard for this role because she was known as the nice girl, the OCD girl on, uh, on Friends. So, mm-hmm. um, 
that is a good segue because she one of the things that also shows that you know she's not completely superficial is that she falls for the local doofy kind of which i think is his name in um doofy, in yep. scary movie mm-hmm. um our mr deputy dewey riley played by david arquette he adds some comedic relief but he's also sweet and endearing so he is the older brother of one of our other characters that we'll discuss in a minute played by Rose McGowan, but he's the local deputy sheriff. So he's very much involved. He's close with our main protagonist, Sydney Prescott. But yeah, I mean, there's nothing I can really use to describe him other than just kind of like a nerdy, good, good guy. Oh yeah. He's, he's a total dweeb and that's, you know, and super naive, but like, you know, he's also ambitious, but just like in a very different way and he wants to do well and he still lives at home. He's beloved. He's a beloved character, but it's it's interesting because you just said that Gale is so fleshed out. I feel like he's. It's just that he's a sweet guy. He, you know, wants to do right. It's actually not until our most recent installment where we actually get more depth from him. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But what we can say about Dewey is, if you watch the sequel, his character, and from there, his character is much more fleshed out in, oh, yeah. in the sequel. All right, moving on to. A surprisingly beloved character, in my opinion. Uh, we're moving on to Jamie Kennedy's character, Mr. Randy Meeks. He's my favorite character. I really do. I feel like he's you and me, only like a straight version. Oh, no, I am not a Randy Meeks by any means. Oh my Let's god, that is something a Randy Meeks would totally say. I'm going to be honest, I'm 1000% a Casey Becker. <laughs> I'm totally tired in the first scene and have a phenomenal chase scene. Mm. And I would do something dumb about like leaving Jiffy Pop on the stove. That's the real crime. But yeah, Stu, uh, not Stu, I'm sorry. Um, Randy Meeks. He is essentially the one who provides all the information of horror films. We, he's very like, in a weird way, he's like our narrator in this. And so what we know about the horror movie tropes that are being kind of because horror film is essentially a character in this movie and it's all through uh randy meeks you know he's the horror movie nerd that works at the video rental store and he's obsessed with horror films he knows has studied them in and out that's randy yeah randy i mean he's your like huge cinephile knows all about horror movies you know yeah, as you mentioned, you know, he's our narrator is also provides a lot of background info that helps make this movie meta. So he's he yes. kind of as a narrator, he's narrating the audience along mm-hmm. to help us. But I just also find him so annoying. I would 1000% in this group be like the one to be like, ugh, like friendly with Randy, but then also behind the scenes be like, fuck, do we have to invite Randy? He's just going to wear orange hush puppies and like bitch about how he's in love with someone. And it's like, uh he for sure is, he would totally be um, like a uh, master of the game or whatever those are. Those, those guys that are like, oh, when you flirt with a woman, you're supposed to insult her and then tell her friend that she's hot. Like, that's how you get, like, he's totally that guy for sure, which is why he's the straight version of us. But uh, if he were gay, he would be really cool. We'll, we'll move on uh, to... Uh, one of our fir- one of our two killers that is a huge surprise played by Matthew Lillard we have Mr. Mm-hmm. Stu Mocker Stu I think is an the annoying character in this like whereas Randy Meeks is like 
a meek person, uh, for sure. Stu, to me, is a piece of shit, douchebag, annoying guy character. And we all went to school with both, but we were all, like, we all hated the Stu person. Like, he is such a douchebag. Such a douche. He is, he is like, fuck Stu. I have a beef with Stu. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> well played. Well played. Thank you. Uh, I actually am in the opposite. I feel totally opposite about Stu. I really like him. I actually feel like, yeah, he'd be kind of like the annoying douche, but what I can see him actually being is the one that would actually be friends with someone and like cool with the gays and everything. And like, I could see myself being friends with him Mm -hmm. and just giving, like giving him shit and everything. Cause he's just kind of stupid. Yes. Of course we learn later. He is a psychopath, but that's, you know, my, (laughs) I started a podcast with you. Right. So obviously I'm drawn to psychopaths. Well, I will say, and like, I love that you admitted that. It makes sense why you feel that way about um, Stu, seeing as how you have problematic taste in men. <laughs> Thank you. Moving on. No, but <laughs> Stu, well, no, but Stu is, and we'll talk about this later when we get when we get into the scenes, but Stu, I think, is the perfect yin to Billy's yang. The bottom He's, to his uh, He is a very fleshed out character. He provides a lot of comedic relief, but he also provides a lot of just a different flavor and there is creepiness and he is absolutely someone that when you when you know the ending and you watch it back there are so many signs billy loomis the next guy is so serious like oh but Stu is the levity out of both of them like he's the he's the fun one he's like the fun guy like yeah all right let's move on to his girlfriend played by rose mcgowan every gay's best friend tatum riley Yes. She's one of my favorite characters, I have to say. Like Love. and she's there for her friends and she is very she's very witty. She is she gives zero fucks about but two nipples for every situation. And I'm here for Tatum O'Reilly and Tatum Riley. It's Tatum Riley. It is Riley, right? It is. Yeah. So we have uh, Tatum's Riley. <laughs> Oh my god, her nipples could be a, a character in and of itself. And I know that sounds so misogynistic. Yeah, how did they not kill the ghost face killer when he came after her? I was like, girl, like you can you're gonna poke someone's like ghost face eyes out with those things. Like he was doing the community a service. He was protecting people from the Oh my god. Those. Also, you're at a house party. Is it fucking freezing? Like what? Well, I mean, depending upon the time of year it is, which I don't think we get a sense of what time of year it is, it can get really cold in Sonoma County. I'm just mm-hmm. making an excuse. Her outfits are iconic, um, oh, yeah. but she's she provides so much. She provides so much good banter. She's such a good foil. She get she's very protective of Sydney, and you know. So we have this whole backstory about Sydney Prescott and her mother, and her mother being you know. There's rumors of this town, you know, being the town floozy, and that's feeds into she's the first one to kind of get real with Sydney. When she's not busy shopping at Wet Seal, she is giving it straight to Sydney. And I'm I'm here for that. Like she's fucking amazing. She does she she is a great friend. I love her style. I love her pigtail braids. I love everything about her. Her but, style in one of the in one of the scenes, she's wearing this crop top that's a jersey. And that's a throwback yes. to Wes Craven's other Nightmare on Elm Street film. Yep, he, she's uh, Johnny Depp. 
However, just to kind of wrap it up on Tatum, her death is sad. Her death is really sad because she's a character that everyone loves, but you need those characters in horror movies that people fall in love with. And then unfortunately reach their demise. I did not want her to die like at all. Um, I would rather have Sydney die, but it actually makes sense. Like you have to have a character that you root for that you, the audience is like, I like this person. They're cool. And then like, you know, and they're in the majority of the film for sure. But since they're not the star of the film, she died exactly when she needed to, because then it really puts the focus on, um, on Sydney. Um, yeah, I, I, it is sad. It is kind of weird how she died. I'm still like, hmm, okay, I'm not really sure how that happened, but whatever. Um, but you know what? I'm, I'm an iconic death. No, for real, totally iconic. Though I will say that did happen to my cousin, and she did get stuck in an, in the uh, uh, garage as it opened up when she was two years old, and it almost fell on her because um, those things aren't designed to hold the body weight of a human. So I was like, how much does Tatum weigh? But I think they're supposed to stop. I think like that's one of the things. Like, I'm sure that's like on myth, but like they're supposed to not move. Yeah, yeah, but so, yeah, somehow it's strong enough to kill a no but even a two-year-old it lifted her yeah and she held on and she was so scared she didn't let go so for an hour she held on screaming and no one inside the house heard her (laughs) the neighbors didn't hear then my aunt was like where's where's you know my cousin and she was like what's that sound she came out my cousin was screaming holding on to the garage like ah! and like at that point like her her voice was like super raspy my like my aunt like she went as like the neighbor came because one of the neighbors had like opened up his door just to do something and saw her <laughs> holding on for dear life with her little hands <laughs> oh my gosh sorry okay. moving so let's move along next to one of our two killers, Mr. Billy Loomis, uh, played by Skeet Skeet Motherfucker Ulrich. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it. God damn it. Billy Loomis has, or Skeet Ulrich has the face of someone you cannot trust. Like, I don't know if he, is it because his mouth is so small? I'm always like, how the fuck does he eat chips? I mean, he has some rodent-y qualities and the greasiest hair I've ever seen. Oh, my God. My dog has less greasy hair, and she plays in the fucking mud. Like, for real. So, this movie is full of red herrings, and that's what, throughout the whole Scream series, uh, what Kevin Williamson does is he really provides a lot of red herrings. And so, we, in the very beginning, he's arrested, he's considered a suspect, but he still seems so suspicious, like, looking. And he's not that kind of sweet, sweet, you know, guy. That we wouldn't suspect. Yeah, he's such a selfish prick. Like that scene where um, he tells Sydney, like, Sydney, it's been a year since your mom was, like, raped and murdered. And you witnessed it. Yeah, I think you should get over it. All because he just wants to, like, finger blast her and, like, try to get the, you know, try to, like, the pullout method later. Like, ugh, okay, whatever, dude. Um, Fuck him. And so he's a really is a completely unlikable character. And there is a scene that I do have a problem with, um, but we'll talk about that scene because I do want to talk about that scene. Fuck him. Like, he's just, he's a dumb bitch. And he is the one who, I'm sure both of us will talk about this in our anals, 
there's a homoeroticism about it. Like, to where even Sydney, his girlfriend, she's like, you pansy-ass mama's boy. I don't know. I think he and Nev Campbell have really good chemistry. She, I believe, uh, don't come at me, <laughs> listeners, if I am wrong on this, but I'm 90% sure she was actually the one to suggest Skeet Ulrich because they had started together in craft the year, the craft the year before, which he also plays a douche. Oh, yeah. I think you're right. I think she did. And he... He was, I mean, I feel like he always, his name is Skeet. Like, no nice person is named Skeet. Okay, but that's not completely his fault. I'm not going to victim blame him for his name being named Skeet. But I don't think that's his birth name. I think that's his acting name. And it goes with the fact that he looks like a Skeet. (laughs) You're right. I just pulled it up. His name is Brian Ray Trout. (laughs) This guy was, where like, I don't. His real name sounds like a serial killer name. Well, that's because there's three names. There's three names. Like anytime you have three names, it always sounds like a serial killer. He's the skeet skeet killer. <laughs> yeah. He comes on his victims after. Oh yeah. my god. It's like the the sticky man like in Home Alone where the wet bandits where they flood the houses. His like his Ooh. MO is he just does a giant facial. <sighs> yes, because they won't be able to find someone with semen dna and then and then he simbas them what's a simba no i'm not talking from personal experience or anything but it's when someone comes on your chest or whatever and then they take their thumb and then they quickly like just wipe a little (gasps) down the thumb and then they make an upside down u on their on your forehead and go simba (laughs) circle of life love it circle jerk of life okay yes so billy yeah he's a killer he's absolutely psychotic mother issues because the biggest reason that he commits this murder the whole this whole master plan comes from him being pissed that his mom left because sydney's mom was fucking his his dad and caused a divorce um here's my question what about your dad are you going to kill your dad like it takes two to tango bitch like why do you have to punish the woman like your dad was the one cheating on your mom. Isn't his dad still around? Um, because this beats. guy is absolutely—he's absolutely a men's rights advocate. A thousand percent, he's a men's right advocate. He is a fucking QAnon shaman. Like, ugh, this dude is T R A S H trash. Okay, but now let's just move on to. My personal favorite final girl, we're talking the Canadian princess, the star, one of them, of Party of Five, Nev Campbell playing the one, the only, Sydney Prescott. She is like the the best final girl, I think. She's so strong, and mm-hmm. she, the thing is, is, and what they, they give her such a good story arc, I think, throughout the entire franchise. So mm-hmm. I, you know, we're not giving any spoilers. If you've seen her, on, if you've seen the posters for Scream Five, you know that she's still around. But she's strong, and the reason Wes Craven cast Nev Campbell was because she had this certain aspect of like being really sweet, but at the same time also being strong. Yeah. And in her, you know, in her scenes, she fights back. She's gone through a lot of shit. She's fucking traumatized, though. I don't think it's as realistic that she would have turned out as normal as the franchise makes her look out to be. Um, Hell no. But she, yeah, no, I think she's a badass. She, 
totally steps it up. She but but she makes her mistakes and she does stuff that final girls are technically not supposed to do, like she has sex. Yes. So I uh, but then ends up thwarting the killer. Yes. This is such a Christopher Pike uh like book made to film. You know, like the main character does have sex. Is Christopher Pike the Canadian R.L. Stein? Yes. Okay. I read all of the Fear Street books. Um, yes. Because I was a little homo, like going to Borders, and I'd be like, Mom, can you buy me the 79 book called the, or $7.99 book called The Boyfriend, The Caller? I mean, but but those were all like a slasher. Those were. Those were awesome. I read them all. I loved them. And then I picked up Christopher Pike, and I was like, oh, this has sex in it. Cool. Maybe I should maybe I should read Christopher. It would it be weird as a 32-year-old to read Christopher Pike? Yes. Anyway, okay. moving on. <laughs> one word so answer. Sydney Sydney's gone through all of this trauma, but you know, she totally thwarts it. She she's put in such a between a rock and a hard place because she was the main witness who saw her mother get murdered. So but she is strong. She is. She's incredibly strong. And she does start off really like naive, but she is quick she's not like jamie lee curtis naive in halloween who was like like just like a blubbering idiot and like of like a teenage version of incompetence um she she is she can fight she's pretty badass like good for her you know right right from like the moment she gets attacked and she does not fall into one horror movie trope is that yes she is the final girl she is not saved by a man Mm mm-mm she don't save herself, and she gets saved a little bit by Gail Weathers. The last thing I do want to say about her is kind of touching on her strength and her vulnerability, and she has to go through so much, her denial about her mom. That's the scene where she is in the bathroom, which there's a million things we could break down about this scene, but I'll just touch on one thing where she overhears the girls. She was never attacked. I think she made it all up. How did she lie about it? For attention, the girl has some serious issues. She did it. What if Sydney killed Casey and Steve? Why would she do that? Maybe she had the hots for Steve and killed them both in a jealous rage. What would Sydney want with Steve? She has her own bubble butt boyfriend, Billy. Maybe she's a slut, just like her mother. You're evil. Please. It's a common fact. Her mother was a tramp. Cut some slack. She watched her mom get butchered. And it fucked her up royally. Think about it. Her mother's death leaves her disturbed and hostile in a cruel and inhumane world. She's delusional, where's God, etc. Completely suicidal. One day she snaps. She wants to kill herself, but she realizes that teen suicide is out this year and homicide is a much healthier therapeutic expression. Where do you get this shit? Regulate. But at the same time, and she just hears all this shit. So she's been hearing this stuff her whole life. So of course she's going to develop some sort of sense of denial. So when you look up to your parents, you never want to hear anything bad about them. And you're not going to believe it. It's not, you don't really start seeing your parents as people until you're like an adult. And like, I'm very proud of the person my mom is. And I'm so impressed with her. But there are certain, you know, things like as you grow up, you're like, oh, they have flaws. Like they, they're not perfect. So you kind of see her go through that without her mom being there. Yeah, for sure. Having had gone through that when she did and the, the experiences are kind of one of the things that have made her strong when we when we meet her. 
All right. So moving into a couple of these scenes, you know, I'm always a sucker for a big chase scene, for a good chase scene, a good house chase scene. When we moved to El Dorado Hills from from San Francisco, my mom's house, there's a pool, there's all like on all these different decks, there's patio doors. And I definitely, first thing I thought of was Scream and kind of like envisioning like my chase scene kind of like throughout the house and everything. Although Drew Barrymore, she has a single story ranch house, but just from the call, from the chase, from the tenseness, it's that I will say this movie, I will credit with the best opening scene of a movie or of a horror movie. Uh, in my personal opinion, just because it sets the tone, it is terrifying, it's iconic, uh, it's self-referential because she talks she talks shit about Wes Craven because uh, when she's on the phone and she talks about Halloween, they talk about Nightmare on Elm Street, and she says, he's like, those were scary, and she's like, well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. The first one is the one that Wes Craven directed. <laughs> so I think it came back maybe for one of the later ones, but... A new nightmare. Uh, yeah. But she gets the craziest line, like or like scariest lines. She sees her boyfriend have like his, you know, get disemboweled, depending if you're watching the um unrated version or the R-rated version. Uh but she she has this chase scene. I don't think she necessarily does anything wrong, which is what's no. so scary. She does everything essentially right. Like she makes pretty good decisions that we would all make because it is two killers. So like, she doesn't know that and they're already there. She doesn't know that it's already set up for her to like die. Like no matter what she did, she was going to die anyway, but it is incredibly fascinating. And I agree with you. Like this opening scene is one of the best in the history of horror cinema. I just think just drew Barrymore, the way the camera follows her around in the house Though, like, what she's doing, the whole phone call, the how everything, how the tension starts to build, this scene, I mean, is fucking brilliant. It is, it's the best scene in the movie, in my opinion. Uh, yeah. And I think that one of the other things that we can't not touch on is the whole questions about scary movies in the beginning. Because he's like, you said you like scary movies and, you know, naming the killer. Yes. And then when she gets asked that question about about Friday the Thirteenth, and you know she says it's Jason, and he's like, "Nope, just kidding. It's actually Mrs. Voorhees." And then she gets killed, or no, her boyfriend gets killed. You know, when she's asked that question of which door am I at, she's fucked. Actually, going back to when we talk about mistakes, the only quote unquote mistake you can say that she makes is she slows down when she sees her parents pulling up, and then she gets jumped, and then we get that epic stabbed to the chest i have always thought like throw the phone so your parents hear you but she doesn't and she can't talk and then she is the only person who gets murdered who gets to see who gets to see who actually killed her yeah um what's so heartbreaking is that we actually see the parents we see the parents react to this i uh, and they of course do a quick little homage to halloween when he's like go down go drive down to the mckenzie's that's a lifted directly from the original Halloween. And she's that scream. It's like an hereditary, like the um, a mother's scream from losing her child. When you see Drew Barrymore hanging there, just, ugh. that always gets you yeah. heartbreaking. Right. Um, and then right. And then right then is when scream shows up, right? Like the, 
the in the total mid nineties font and graphics. It's so good. Well, oh, no, 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 no. That's not when it comes out. That's not when it comes up. It, it immediately <gasps> no. Right. It immediately goes. The so this movie is different because Scream pops up before the first murder. That's right, and that's what that's what sets it up is because you don't know you're going into a cold opening. Yeah. So that the rest of the movies, the titles come in after the first kill. Yep, you're right. Um, and then quickly, just want to touch on this. There's this one's not too long, even though we could, of course, dissect into it. Sydney, when she's at home and she gets her first attack, she's also doing the cat and mouse on this, and she makes the comment. She's like, "I don't watch scary movies. It's always some dumb big-breasted girl who can't act mm-hmm. who's running up the stairs and should be going out the front door." But she proves why she couldn't go out the front door because the chain is locked and she gets stuck on it. Like, and he stabs the door. I get why she ran upstairs. My biggest issue. She was kind of locked inside and she needed to like do something immediately. She, you know, didn't have time to waste. So like, keep moving. Boom. Goes up the stairs. Yeah. Perfect. My biggest issue is it's like, you know, she apparently like, you have zero idea why she has 911 quickly accessed on her computer as if like, like, is she deaf? Like, and then she types it and the police are immediately there. Not to address scary movie again, but they they parody this part because she types "white woman in trouble." That is, and then that's when they show up. That is so good, so smart. That's the best. I love that film. I love scary movie. It's just such a dumb fucking good time of a film. All right, and so then you know, there's a lot that happens, but we've talked about it in discussing the each and every character. We've 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 talked about like how they died or what happened and who they were. So the other scene of importance, and it really is a big one, is the final party scene, which is you know kind of interesting because every writer who writes teen dramas has a tendency to think that all high schoolers throw humongous ragers like this just like all the time. Um, and that seems kind of weird, but whatever. That's that's a whole another thing. Um, but yes, the final scene takes place at a at a humongous house party where it feels like the whole school is there, um, and they're hanging out, and... which makes zero sense. Yeah, my I parents know. wouldn't. My parents absolutely. If there was a murder, my parents, even though I said like, I still would not be allowed to go out. Yeah, I know. No, and I'm like, all these kids from your school are being murdered. Your principal was murdered, but like. This is what you know what this is? Rich white kids in northern suburbs of the Bay Area, wine country, where they think nothing can happen to them. That's what this fucking shit is. Um <laughs> they're in wine country, their parents are wasted, <laughs> right? And I was like, yeah, for real. Um, so one of the interesting things, and this is where um Randy Meeks comes in, is he is talking about horror films and we learn all the rules. But throughout the movie, Randy has always kind of talked about rules. But this is where we get the, like, rules where he talks about, like, the first one, you can't drink or do drugs. Boom. Everyone in this goddamn party is fucking screwed because what are they doing? Drinking and doing drugs. All right? So it's like a fucking free-for-all. It's a smorgasbord of dead teenagers. The second one, no sex. So you're not allowed to have sex. You have to be a virgin, which is dumb because virginity is a made-up construct to oppress women and sexual minorities. And number three, you cannot say, I'll be back. Because when you say, I'll be back, you die. And so what happens? 
Um, Stu, the one that we don't like, but that you're into because you're into problematic men, says, I'll be back. And like, it's a thing. And it's, you know, it's like a big thing. Well, but he subverts that rule. What? Well, he subverts that rule. The whole thing, the whole thing about these three rules is they don't, and they're true for other horror movies, but they're not true for this movie. Oh, of course. Yeah. It's, it's literally like, it's almost like they are making fun of horror films. Like, okay, the formula, you're so formulaic. Like, I get it. You're this and that, you know, you're a Pablo, Pablo. It's not almost like they're making fun of horror movies. That's the whole premise of this oh, whole yeah. fucking movie. It was just okay. <laughs> it was just a word. God. Okay, they're hell of making fun of horror films. So of course this movie's gonna subvert it all. And they had to remind us so that in as they're subverting it, we're understanding that they're subverting it, you know, because um Sydney and Billy aren't are at the party, but they're not at in this scene is that I do want to talk about is when Sydney and Billy Loomis have sex and it's with the music playing and the wordage, the verbiage that's being used and everything. It really is in my opinion, in my opinion, it's an assault because the way he like convinces her and he's like, you, you know, like, and pressuring her into having sex. And she is like she apologizes for not having sex with him. She calls herself selfish for not having sex with him and then has sex with him. And I, it's played out to be like, oh, this is a moment of growth. She should be having sex instead of this is a moment yeah. of, you know, this is her vic- being victimized again. And like, I think it's, if it were to be redone now, like if this were to be shot by shot redone and they had to update it, that scene would be taken out in the way that it's written because it's really like, she's a traumatized person like what the fuck i totally agree with you i don't think the scene would be completely omitted i think the scene is important i agree with you i think the script would be changed on it i think that i'm selfish would be taken out because if you take certain lines out then yes it is her empowerment and it it is her being like i do need to move on this is like this is stuff that i want to do too if there there could be lines that were changed where it could be more empowering because i think today if we had a woman involved in writing that scene i do think the scene is important she has to have sex to be able to subvert this and i think that if she puts it in her own hands or like and it is her there could have been a scene that happened before where she said like i do want to have sex like but it's still just hard for me. And then if you take those lines about me being selfish out, then it can do that. But I completely agree with you. The scene is very problematic. Um, yeah, no, a hundred percent. No, And I, I agree. I, she does need to have sex because the trope is once you have sex, you die. And they refer to that later. Like you messed up, Sid, you shouldn't have had sex, you know, um, for sure. But like the way that it's played out and everything, like, we're supposed to be ups- we're supposed to be with Billy and upset with her that she hasn't had sex with him. And I think that's really fucked up, but it is incredibly important because now she can she's open to be killed because she is no longer a virgin um and that I think is really kind of I th- I think it's smart for the movie, but it was just written so wrong and you know, it's something you see in a bunch of teen dramas where sexual assault and forced and coercive sex are seen as romantic or that's just what someone does who's really into you. And I think that's fucked up and that like really needs to change. And he effectively tricks 
tricks her into having sex because in the final kitchen scene, he mentions like, oh, motherhood abandonment certainly fucked me up and it fucked you up because it made you have sex with a psychopath. But so. I, I do appreciate that, like that he is fucking crazy. He has some self-awareness. So that's really attractive in the man. Ooh, let's move should on. We wrap, should we wrap it up? Before, but the last thing I do want to say about this film is I just want to quickly reference a scene that is so tense and I thought was so well done. Mm-hmm. When she is in, she locks herself in the cop car, <gasps> in the Jeep Wrangler, and the killer comes out and shows that he has the keys and is popping around and unlocking door by door and then secretly unlocks the lift gate. And then comes in and attacks her like that. Tends- that that is so fucking scary. Oh my! No, that was good. There's a lot like they do a lot like even with the Tatum scene in the garage. Like you know, it's pretty good because we know that she's in a horror film. She doesn't know it, and it's it's awesome. You know, like we hear Tatum kind of say some stuff like you know, take that off because Sydney Sid is gonna freak you know um which is the only issue that's the only issue i have with tatum is that we do look at her as like being this really good friend right yeah and the only time we get a little bit of insight she's a teenager so teenagers effect but she thinks it's randy and she's like "Ugh, take that you know take that off if sydney sees it she'll flip instead Um, of take that off it's really insensitive to sydney she's here yeah for sure and then there's one thing we need to credit tatum with i mean well she didn't write the line but she's the first one to use the term ghost face. Yes. Oh, Mr. Ghostface Killer. Yeah, she is. She's good. All right. All right. So, so Pablo. Yes, Paul. I hope you're taking care of it. Mm-hmm. But tell me, what's your anal, sis? All right. I will tell you. So what I appreciate about this film is it's a f- it's a horror film, a very classic horror film that has used com- that uses comedy to help move the movie along. I think it actually is a very smart film. It is a fun film. Um, I I do feel like horror is a or not horror. I'm sorry, slasher films are a bit. Um, Slashes aren't my favorite subgenre of the horror film, especially by this time. There's so many like fucking tropes and it's super moralistic and all this stuff. So, and like, again, I'm not the biggest fan of things, things a, uh, aimed at teenagers. I think um, there is problematic uh, issues when you treat teenagers as adults and write them in, in like fiction and in movies as adults um, yeah. and then cast like people that are obviously adults to play them. But I get that that's part of this. Um, like you said earlier, it is making fun of horror films. It is making fun of the slasher tropes. And so there is a lot of humor written into the film, but it is not a horror comedy. It is a horror film with comedy elements. And I highly, 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 highly appreciate the marriage of the two. Um, I find it as an impressive film in that sense, though I do think there are some issues with the decisions and the writing and some things that you do, but ultimately it's a fun ride. And the most important thing about this film is that it is a fun film, but I'm done. I want to hear what your anal is, sis. 
So I, I think we could tell by like, I could have like a four part mini series on this movie. So I'm going to use my anal cyst. Use your anal cyst. <laughs> for my benefit. I'm going to use my anal cyst to, you know, get a free dinner. I, I could go on and on and on about how much I love it. So what I actually want to use right now is I'm going to, I'm going to throw in some fun, some fun facts uh, quickly in here. Um, the first thing I want to talk about are a couple of the Easter eggs and who kills who there's so many like YouTube videos about this, but just kind of the top two ones and that I want to touch on are the very first scene, you know, cause it's, uh, it's always, which one was it? Was it Billy? Because that the fountain scene, they talk about like, no, I was with so-and-so last night. It was both of them. I do think Billy's always on the phone. I think the biggest the biggest giveaway is because when Drew Barrymore is asked those questions of which door am I at, she's fucked. One of them throws the chair through the window, but when the parents get there, the front door is open. They're both there, like, and they both have to be there to hang to hang her. But there are two separate killing styles. So every person, so the hands above the head. When there's two hands, that's obviously Stu, because uh, he's he does that for Sydney. I think everyone can put two and two together that that's you know Stu, and then he does it to to Randy when Stu is or when Billy is supposedly upstairs. Billy is the one-handed pulling, or like stabbing, and the choking because he does that to Sydney at the end, and he does it, and the killer does it to Casey at the beginning. So those are the two biggest things. That, you know, of course, you like, there's always arguments to be made one way or the other. The other thing, so in the very first scene, when Billy comes over and he sneaks through the window, he, you know, is there to talk to Sydney. The dad comes to the door and he, like, and she has those two doors, which they searched high and low to find a house that has two doors like that. I don't know why, but, like, that locks each other. So you have one door closed upon the other one and then they block each other. The dad is wearing the exact same clothes that he was in the final scene. So he, you know, Stu is there, also proves that they both killed Casey. Stu is there abducting the dad and Billy is distracting Sydney because he says, I'm going to go to bed. I'll see like, I'm going to be up really early. So that's super like thought about, about when exactly they abducted the dad. Doesn't he... And then doesn't Billy also turn the music up or something at that point? Correct. So that way we don't hear her dad being abducted. And then I 1000% think I would break up with someone when they were like, I was watching the exorcist and it reminded me of our relationship. I would, I would grab my ankles immediately and be like, whatever you want. That tracks, that tracks, (laughs) that tracks with you. Thank you. So, and then beyond that, the movie is just, it's so well done. And then the last little fun fact I want to give it is, so this was filmed in Santa Rosa. And then let's just talk about white douchebags. The superintendents for the school district canceled. Then when they found out how scary, it, what, like what the move, the premise of the movie was, they moved it. They said no. And so they had to film part of it at, like in the Healdsburg Town Square which I'm a member at Thumbprint Sellers. Uh, we're not sponsored by them, but if you go them, go there, uh, 
I would highly suggest it. I think it's partially gay owned. Awesome. Um, sweet guys. But they, so they filmed it at the community college. So it was split over a couple of different places at the very end. Wes Craven is a bitch. Cause at the very end of the credits, he goes and an absolute no thanks wording it wrong, but zero thanks to the Santa Rosa high school district. That's awesome. That's awesome. But ultimately this is my favorite movie next to the original Halloween, but most likely my favorite horror movie. So that's my analysis. Okay. Dripping for this movie. <laughs> Love it. Oh yeah. Yours is puckering and dripping. Let's move on to a new segment that I, I we want to include for the gays. We're going to talk about whether this film has enough um, gay references or gay appeal. Like, is this for queer people and how much, how accessible is it to the gay audience? So I'll, I'll start. Um, so for the gays, I do believe this is very accessible to the gay audience for one big reason. Sydney, actually two reasons, Sydney and Gail Weathers. Yes, we love, 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 love Rose McGowan's character. We love Rose McGowan. We love Tatum. But ultimately, really, this movie is a a female like empowerment film, I guess, in, in a sense. And that's something that queer people really like. Um, yeah. You know, and she is not saved by a man. She actually destroys them. And Gail Weathers uh, also like survives and is able to like fight back. So we're watching women we're watching femininity overcome masculinity um and that's awesome you know that's something that queer people really like personally i actually don't think that there is a lot of queer queerness to billy loomis and stew um i don't see it what i see is um a very manipulative person a very kind of strong personality and a much more weak-willed person and that dynamic friendship you know and that is something that is actually not foreign in films that's something you see a lot with like bullies they always have um especially when it's a male bully they always have one that is like leads the pack and like at least one you know like this cult of personality that someone has and like represents like masculinity and toughness and or whatever so i don't necessarily see it i mean I don't think that it's happening. I can see where people talk about it. And the fact that it is talked about, I think already makes it a queer enough of a queer film to be accessible to a queer audience. And it's just also kind of campy and fun, uh, like fun, like gay uh, sensibility that's already built in. I love it. So I would say it's, you know, a, it's a drag queen at a pride event when it comes to, gay accessibility what about you i would say this is absolutely for the gays um one you know the witty dialogue you're absolutely right the empowering of women gay gay people generally speaking are or queer people uh it's talked a lot about how we are just naturally drawn to this genre like as broad as mm-hmm. horror movie especially when it comes to the final worlds is there explicit gay, like, are there gay characters? No, there is not. Um, I agree with you and I disagree with you on the Stu and Billy thing. I think it could be interpreted one way or the other. Whether or not that was intentional, I look at it as Stu, if they were. I don't think Billy's gay. 
Billy is not gay. Billy is a <laughs> Billy is a fucking Billy is an incel. Uh, but mm-hmm. Stu, you know, in high school, there's like gay men that are in love with her best friend could be one of that. And he says that he's, you know, sucker for peer pressure. Also, we never talked about that fun line where uh, Billy throws the phone at him and he's like, why'd you hit me the phone, dick? I think that was ad-libbed. Beautiful. It was. Yeah. But what one of the lines that he says is I'm far, I'm, I, you know, I suffer from peer pressure, far too sensitive. That is actually part of another line that they cut of a previous scene in the where Billy says you're too into peer pressure. So they cut that. But Mm -hmm. I do think that if there is queerness, Stu is in love with even maybe even subconsciously in love with Billy Mm -hmm. and does whatever, does whatever he wants. He's obviously also a psychopath. Um, I think I look at this also as kind of an oddest tool. Um, Henry Lee Lucas. Uh, Henry Lee Lucas kind of dynamic. But yes. but that's like, I mean, that's like the most queerness you can get from it other than it being, you know, some badass women and like fun final girls and gives you everything that you would want out of a slasher movie. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, this is for sure like drag brunchy where there's a lot of straight women and you enjoy it and it's a space. But yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, Billy's too, yeah, they're men, you know, attractive and everything. But Pablo, gotta ask, who are you stabbing? Okay, who am I stabbing? Oh, uh, I think I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna do my, he's my favorite character in this one. I just find him really fun, and I love the role that he plays, and I've always liked Jamie Kennedy, because he's, he's kind of a dork. Um, Randy Meeks. I just think he's great. I love Randy Meeks. I want to hang out with him. I want to talk horror movies with him. When I first saw this film, he was a character that I had a crush on because I like anyone who knows a lot about horror films and I just thought he was really cool. So, Randy Meeks, what about you? You just want to pop that cherry. Um, Honestly, I mean, this is a hard one because there's not anyone that I'm like super like, you know, super attracted to. I would say probably actually Dewey. I know this is the one you chose. I would choose younger Dewey and in our mini mm-hmm. you chose you chose elder Dewey. Yes. But um he's old enough to where I wouldn't call him Twinkie or anything. But just like I think he would be fun to like pull around kind of show the ropes and being like, oh like like and I feel like he probably is really hung and be like, Oh, am I hurting you? <laughs> like oh. is this okay? Like and I feel like it would be fun. It would be fun to be the 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 bottom to lead the top. All right. Good for you. <laughs> you hear that yes turn your phone down i'm just kidding neither one of us hear this i added in (laughs) (laughs) post-production all right so we have a grinder inspired rating system here it's simple and split into three categories travel host or ghost travel you are going out of your way to get with this movie a plus host good enough pleasurable but you're not going out of, out of your way for this movie. And Ghost, hard pass, not memorable, and we'd likely only revisit in a moment of desperation. Pablo, travel host or ghost? Okay. Um, it's a smart film. It's a great film, but I would still host. It's, you know, I as I enjoyed watching it for, for this episode. I've had other friends who wanted to watch it, and I've watched it with them. I, great. But if I were to choose a horror film to watch, this isn't like one that I would. So yeah, I I I, I would I would host. And let me guess, what's yours? Uh, travel. I don't need to go into any more further explanation. So I think we're we're 
<laughs> good here. I mean, that's travel. That's travel. All right, everyone. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode. I know this is probably the opposite of our previous screen movie as far as timing goes. So appreciate you listening. I uh, this week we did Scream. We are still going to stay in the '90s theme, but we're going to go back a li- couple of years further, and we are going to do Anne Rice's interview with the vampire, our first creature feature. Ooh, I love this film. If you would like to follow us on Instagram, we would love for you to. We are at Scared Gay Podcast. Pablo, if people would like to follow you, where may they find you? I am on Instagram at the Exorcist SF. T H E E X E R C I S T S F. That's me. And you, Paul. I am on Instagram at Paul You Ever Wanted. If you would be so kind, we would love a five star rating and review on Apple Podcast. It uh, really helps us get the word out there. Yes, thank you. Please do love us. Love us. <laughs> please, please. Please, I'll do anything for your love. Pablo at least is in a relationship, so yes, do it for me if not for him. <laughs> love Paul, <laughs> love me. Only my family does at this point. Mm-hmm. All right, until next time, everyone, stay scared, stay safe, and maybe get a little gay. Hey, I'm Paul. I'm Pablo. Bye. <laughs>